0: Genre-defying composer Matt Quayle talks to us about scoring some of TV's biggest shows, from his Emmy Award-winning electronic score for Mr. Robot to the old-school Hollywood feel of FX's feud, Betty and Joan. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Prolific TV creator Ryan Murphy is back with one of the most anticipated shows of the season, American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. That premieres in the US this week on FX and stars among others Penelope Cruz. One of Murphy's very frequent collaborators on this new show as well is composer Mac Quayle. Mr. Quayle's unique and many times unconventional sound has made him the go-to composer for some of the biggest TV creators and filmmakers working now. Mack's music career started early, singing in the church choir back home in Virginia. He joined the school's marching band and then began playing new wave and punk in different local groups. Later, he moved to New York and found huge success as a producer and music remixer. He worked on 40 number one Billboard dance hits with some of the biggest names in the music business. He created music for Madonna, Whitney Houston, Britney Spears, Beyonce, Sting, and many more. Then he headed to Los Angeles to pursue work composing for film and TV. He worked as an additional composer for Cliff Martinez on, among others, films like Drive and Spring Breakers. In 2015, he landed the job to compose the score for Sam S. Mill's new series, Mr. Robot. This score would lead to an Emmy. also has a close collaboration with TV creator and showrunner Ryan Murphy. Mac has scored American Horror Story since season 4, and The People vs. O.J. Simpson starring John Travolta and Sarah Paulson. In 2017, Mac Quayle received two Emmy nominations for his main title and score for the music in Murphy's hit series Feud, Betty and Jones, starring Jessica Lang and Susan Sarandon. has written music for over 40 films and television shows, so I'm very happy to talk to him about his process here today. I started by asking him, when he himself goes to the movies, is he always thinking about the music, the score?
1: Well, you know, it's it's um, it's an interesting thing when, when you start to learn about the filmmaking process. Um, I mean, obviously music is just one part of it, um, but The editing, the camera work, the lighting, like once each of those parts of the process, when you learn about them, it can be a little difficult to not see that what's happening Mm -hmm. and to not be like, oh, okay, I see how they edited that there. And now it's, you know, or, or the way, the way that is lit or that, that particular camera angle, um, it takes a little bit of the mystery out of it, but great filmmaking uh, can kind of transcend all of that because you just get lost in the story. And um, the, the same can happen for me when I'm watching and the and music just sort of blends into the background and I'm, I'm not really paying attention to it um, because I'm so captivated by what, you know, this journey the filmmaker is taking me on. The uh, exceptions to that would be if I feel if the music sticks out in a way that um, I don't think is working
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: so 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 like a, a someone's choice for 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 the music um say I disagree with and I think it's, it's it's totally interrupting the film and not doing what what I would do that can jump out at me and and make me notice the
0: music because that's so interesting because sometimes, it, too much can be amazing. You, I mean, you could just think about, wow, this is like too much. It's like a wall of music, but that's great. That adds something. And sometimes it's like, I don't want you to tell me everything I'm feeling at every moment. <laughs> it's really a, a magic how you get that right.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, so the other, the other side to it, to it for me is when if there's something really great musically – And there's maybe a moment in the story where where the story takes a breath, and I can just enjoy the music, and and I'll think, "Wow, that's what a great cue! Mm
2: -hmm, It mm
1: -hmm. sounds that sounds fantastic." Um, And so it's either if it's bad, I'll notice it; (laughs) if it's really (laughs) great, I'll notice it. And then if it's just working and doing its job, it kind of fades into the fades into the background.
0: Okay, I'd, I'd like to go back a little bit in your career. Um, why did you leave New York, where you were a successful producer remixing others, and move to Los Angeles?
1: In the early 2000s, the music industry started to have some pretty significant changes. Um, you know, Napster had happened in the very end of the 90s, uh, piracy was starting to be rampant. Um, and the, for the first time, sales were going down, and <clears throat> the work that we were doing with the, with the record labels uh, started to dry up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Everything was shifting, and in 2003, uh, it was just really starting to change. And I thought it's it's like time to do something, to do something else. And so I set my sights on on moving to California with the kind of a vague idea of, of getting into scoring. And in the beginning of 2004, moved, moved out here to, to see what, what might be possible.
0: Well, you were very sort of smart ahead of your time to be thinking like this, right? There must have been many people left, (laughs) not sort of realizing what was going on in the industry, I can imagine.
1: Um, yeah, I I think so. And I, and I think it was a, something that people started to do you saw a lot of people leave the music industry and, and come over and to, you know, to try their 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 fate in in the scoring
0: but there are a lot of people still doing remixing but i'm, I'm sure they're sort of maybe maybe like amateurs or i mean are there people on you who, who's doing that now
1: i mean there definitely is remixing still happening it never went away um you know one of the I, I'm sure there's there's money being paid for it now. There's there's budgets. Um for some of the really biggest, biggest DJs or whatever that are doing remixes, they're they're probably getting paid well. And my guess is the rest of the people doing remixes are either not getting paid or they're getting paid very little. Mm-hmm. Um you know, one of the shifts that was already happening during this uh early two thousands time period was the You know, the advancement of technology had made it so that pretty much anyone with a laptop and like one piece of software could potentially do a remix. It didn't mean it would be good. It might be. But um, so all of a sudden, there's just a flood of people wanting to do remixes, very hungry, Mm
2: -hmm. very
1: excited to do it. And the record label started thinking, hmm, Wow, why should we pay all these professionals a lot of money to do the remixes? Why don't we give it out to 10 young guys and tell them to to send us a remix? And if we like one of them, we'll give them a a little money
0: Right, Right, right. Well, (laughs) that changes things, right?
1: Yeah, it Um, it does.
0: When you start composing for something like Mr. Robot, do you first have a conversation with Sam Ismail? Do you first see footage? How does this begin?
1: well yes it does it all starts with a conversation and in fact you know the beginning of that uh my relationship with sam and working on the show it all it began with a meeting we we met i watched the pilot episode
0: so he had that already
1: they had shot the pilot and this was back in i guess january of 2015 so three three years ago and um we we sat down and, and we talked about uh we talked about the the pilot and Sam felt very strongly that the sound of the show should be very electronic which I which I agreed I thought it I thought it would really work and <clears throat> based on those conversations uh, then I then I start writing music in my studio and sending him music to hear and you know have his input on whether Mm he he loves what i do the first the first version or he has suggestions for changes and that process has pretty much stayed throughout you know we've done three seasons of the show now and that process is you know pretty pretty much intact we we, there's a conversation i write music you know he uh he gives feedback and then um we we work on it until it's right and and move on to the next episode
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just—I think you what you really do in Mister Robot, at least, is you're really sort of scoring what's in Elliot's head, creating sort of his feelings and his tension. Um, is how I'm feeling when I'm when I'm watching it. How how would you say that you create that? I mean, really specifically, what instrumentation and and, and how are you thinking?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because when I when I started the show. Um, that wasn't what I was aware that I was doing, that I was scoring what was happening in, in Elliot's subconscious. It, it took, it took like sort of halfway into the second season when I realized, oh, that's really what I'm doing
0: here. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> and I, you know, I guess, I guess it, it just sort of happened by my doing, you know, like what feels, what felt Right. And, and just kind of following my instincts. And out of that came the fact that really I was scoring what was happening in his head. So um, if you, you've watched the show, you know that a lot that's going on in his head, it's, it's quite dark. It's quite uh, paranoid. Mm-hmm. A lot of tension, anxiety, um, a lot of bizarre things happening and so the sounds that i had found found myself using were all sounds that would evoke those types of you know those types of feelings
2: What are
0: those sounds specifically? If you were able to explain.
1: Well, as I said, the sound of the show in general is very electronic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, almost certainly in the first season, almost every sound was something generated, you know, by a synthesizer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, I would say things that terms I would use for. Uh, some of the more tense, unsettling uh, moments, I, w- I would call them like dark, uh, atmospheric drones, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> discordant harmonies. Um, in, in some of the more frenetic, uh, really crazy moments with him, uh, more distorted sounds, uh, aggressive, uh, unsettling
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And and you know there's a variety of instruments that I that I use to achieve these, you know, like as I said, mostly electronic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I'm not sure most of them can be labeled in sort of conventional musical terms like, oh, well, this is a guitar sound,
2: right? Right. Or
1: that this is a this is a, an oboe. It's more like oh it's a, it's a, it's a sound created by electronically by a synthesizer which doesn't necessarily have uh, a counterpart sort of in the in the real instrument world
0: right um, Do you work together with a sound designer on a show at all the composer?
1: Well we, um, we've, we've done a little collaborating
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean most of the collaboration sort of happens without us together in the room. Um, you know, there'll be some sound design, some rough sound design on the version that I get to to work to, the, the version of the video. Right. Um, and so, of course, the, just by the nature of it being there, that's going to influence what I do. Um, and then when I turn the music in and they're on the mix stage – doing the final tweaking of everything, the music that's now there is going to affect Him. what he okay. does to sculpt his sounds. Um, so that's kind of an end, you know, indirect method of collaboration. A few times we've actually passed some sounds back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there was a episode in, in season one and, uh, this scene down, um, at kind of in this industrial area by the water. And there was like a sound of a pile driver, this big machine
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that the sound designer had, had uh, put in there. And he, he gave that sound to me and I took it and I, I kind of used it as a big percussion instrument in the music track. Oh, wow. And um, it was, it was fun. It worked, it worked really well. We did something similar in this past season, with this uh, long scene on a subway car in New York. Mm -hmm. And he gave me the sound of the train going click-clack over the tracks. And it had a rhythm to it. Right. And so I I took it and and looped it and and had it in time. And then I wrote my music on top of it in the same tempo as the train click-clacks and so that's so that was kind of fun it's it's subliminal like it's it's not something if you don't if you're not looking for it you might not notice it but it's 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 there
3: I killed a woman got her right in the heart with a stun gun
0: This is me. I've heard that Esmail, he likes his the music sort of louder than other showrunners. Like, actually louder.
1: <laughs> I mean, he does. <clears throat> he does like it loud. Um, and, you know, I've, I've read comments online of people saying, I can't hear the dialogue. The music's too loud. <laughs> um, I was fond of making the joke that, you know, in season one, you know, the music got so much recognition and I was so fortunate to to win an Emmy for it that uh, mostly that was because it was so loud. People could hear it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of a, a dream come true for composers. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you can you can talk to any composer out there and they'll tell you of experiences where they have just sweated over – a particular cue mm-hmm. and they've been asked to revise it and revise it and revise it and 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 just work so hard And when they finally see the finished product you can't even hear it it's right. like buried so low uh. underneath the dialogue and sound effects so um so it's really nice to 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 have the music be to be heard.
2: All right, right. Now,
0: what another huge collaborator of yours, even now that that is Ryan Murphy. Now, what is his approach, his general approach to scoring his productions?
1: Well, he, um, you know, he's more of a big picture thinker, uh, as, as, at least as far as our interactions go. I mean, he will, um, in initial conversations, just say how, okay, this is the direction that we need to go you know this this is the we're gonna we're gonna mix three different genres of music for this and and i think a harpsichord would be a nice instrument to feature Mm -hmm. and then that sets the tone i go and write music again a similar process and send it in and get feedback on it and uh and revise it if needed until until we have something that we that we like um it's you know it's worked out pretty pretty well.
0: For like for American Horror Story, what would some of his cues be?
1: Well, um, I mean the the very first season that I worked on with him on American Horror Story was season four, Freak Show. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the idea there was that there would be a sort of twisted carnival circus sound to the music. Um, and, and, and one other description was a, uh, fifties sci-fi strings.
0: Wow. What is this?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's like, like some sort of weird oh, science fiction right. movie from the fifties. And and so based on those, you know, those descriptions, then I start writing music and, and, we end up defining the the sound Mm -hmm. of the show, of of the season.
0: Now, Feud, Betty and Joan, that seems like Quite a departure from from what you you have been doing, sort of electronically and stuff. How did you start there? Were you looking at composers from the era for inspiration, for example, or?
1: Well, definitely, and um, again, from Ryan came this. You know, I want this. I want this show to sound like Hollywood in the '60s, um, orchestral, a little bit jazzy and we we also need to be able to help tell this sad story of these two women and th- and that was the those were the parameters and so you know based on that i immersed myself in a, a lot of music from that period and uh and began began writing the first thing i wrote was the main title theme
0: oh which- talk talk about that what 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 Sort of instrumentation were you using there?
1: Well, I mean, essentially it was an orchestral palette, so you know, with a little bit of a jazzy flavor to it. Um, but yeah, it was you know strings, brass, woodwinds, and um, and I, I was trying to address all of these <clears throat> all of these things that Ryan had you know, these sort of keywords he'd mentioned. And um, they they basically told me it's going to be one minute long and, um, you know, it needs to have these characteristics, orchestral, 60s, a little bit jazzy, and a little bit sad.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And um, they told me it was also going to be animated, but they had not animated it yet. Okay. So they sent me some stills that were the beginnings of their animation process. And I took – there was 120 stills. And I took them and I, I put them in a QuickTime movie file. So I kind of made a slideshow out of oh, them. Oh,
0: okay. So you put them together. Just, just you made so your I own animation.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean just so I could have something to look at. I mean there was no there was no real timing to it. Or anything, but it was just so that there was something there, and and then I wrote the piece. Um, It doesn't always happen, but they loved the first version, and the only the only note Ryan gave was the ending needs to be more sad.
0: Okay, and 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 what when when it says so? How do you do that? How do you make it more sad? You go into a minor. Well, I had done I had done a
1: big. Well, minor keys definitely are good for sad um, I had done a big, a big ending, sort of a big finish. And, um, so first I thought, well, let's not make it big. It'll, instead of going big, it'll, it'll get quiet and become somber. And, um, the, the melody at that point had sort of developed and was, was big with strings and brass. And, and so instead now I pulled it back and I just had a, a clarinet play, the final phrase of the melody. <clears throat> and um, once that was done, they then animated the visuals to the music, which was definitely a reversal of what normally normally happens.
0: most challenging um, television project would you say in your career and why
1: Uh, well I mean Feud was was quite challenging Mm -hmm. Um, you know as you mentioned before quite different than the other projects I've worked on Um, writing uh, 60s orchestral music uh, wasn't exactly something that um, I could say was in my in my tool bag (laughs) And as much as I love that music of the era, um, yeah, it was it was it was challenging. Mm-hmm. It was definitely um, it took it took more time, and uh, was you know certainly some moments of self doubt as I would get halfway into a into a piece of music and just not know what to do with the rest of it, and just be like, oh no, I can't I can't do this. Right, we'll, we'll, right. We'll, you know, how will I finish it? But um, but we did. we did, we did, we did, we did get through it, and you know we're very happy with the results, and um, so, but yeah, I'd say that's been one of the more, one of more, one of the more challenging projects.
0: What about soundtracks and composers? Um, have you sort of maybe influenced is a big word, but have you during your life really sort of enjoyed or, or looked up to?
1: Probably. I feel like one of the first soundtracks um, I bought was Edward Scissorhands uh, Danny Elfman which I just thought was a fantastic uh, fantastic work I think one of his early one of his early films that just you know showed what kind of an incredible career he was going to have you know completely completely different from that um, I can remember in uh, in the early 2000s when I was still in New York, um, the music of Cliff Martinez really caught my ear.
0: That you worked with.
1: Which I then mentor, was fortunate really. enough to meet and, and work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I watched Traffic and was just blown away by the score. It just didn't sound like anything I'd heard in a film before. And I looked up the composer, and so oh, this guy Cliff Martinez I hadn't heard of him. Um, and you know, shortly after I moved to Los Angeles, I was able to meet him, and uh, and ended up you know working on I don't know twelve films with him over a number of years. Um, so that was quite a nice, you know, kind of a dream situation to find someone that you're a fan of, and then and then work with them.
0: Right. So we're just days away from um, your new show, American Crime Story: The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Another um, Murphy show. Uh, what can you tell us? Does this have a Miami feel, or, or what can you tell us about scoring this one?
1: Well, um, yeah, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say to give it away. <laughs> I know they, they like to keep they like to keep a lot of it under wraps. I mean, they have there has been some articles written. Press screeners have gone out and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I watched a few trailers too, which, of course, had music.
1: Um, yeah, the trailers. The trailers have music. It's not. It's not the music from the show. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, we we didn't, um, we didn't really go with the Miami feel. Um, I don't. I don't think the story, uh, even though uh, quite a bit of it takes place in Miami it's not really it's not really a miami story um, <clears throat> you know it's this fashion icon and this uh you know deranged serial killer um and it's really it's really about them and and their their lives and how they intertwined uh, on and off and um so so yeah it wasn't it wasn't a miami sound uh we we played around with with merging a, a couple of different genres, and um, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about the result. Uh, you know, really curious to see what what people think when the, when it premieres.
0: Well, I can't wait to see it, and, and I'm so I really appreciate your time today, and thank you for giving us some insight into the amazing shows that you work on and the music that you make. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thanks for for talking with me.
0: Thank you so much mac quail and thank you for listening now i have a little favor to ask of you if you have a moment please rate the show on itunes or soundcloud and spread the word it really helps others who are interested in the interviews we're doing and the topics to find us so that would be great and follow us on twitter at Pod Pop Culture and Instagram, Pop Culture Confidential, and keep sending responses to the shows. I really appreciate it. It's so much fun, and it also helps me figure out what guests and topics that we can look into going forward. So thank you for that. This show was edited by Tom Hansen. Theme music by Carl Boy. Produced by Renee Vikander and myself. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Thank you so much for listening.